Welcome back to Kvetching on the Couch, a podcast where we host a weekly conversation about mental health topics through a Jewish lens. I'm Ash, I use they, she pronouns, and I'm an eating disorder and trauma therapist specializing in the Jewish community and weight stigma. I have lived experience of an eating disorder and childhood trauma, and I do community advocacy work for the Jewish community and fat positivity. And I'm Laura, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a mental health and suicide prevention advisor to high schools with a professional background in special education and equity work. My personal background is anti-Semitism, advocating for fat and body liberation, and eating disorder and addiction recovery through the lens of my personal experience. Let's roll that intro. Lovely. I always feel um, like we should tell people that like <laughs> we're looking at each other and so we're dancing a little bit when that goes on because that's how much we still love it. Yeah, um, Ash came so. out of that um, giggling because I was interpretive <laughs> dancing to our intro over Zoom just for any listeners who are curious what that was all about. Anyway, in today's episode, we will be discussing Passover. We are currently recording this on April 21st, 2022. So it is currently Pesach. And in order to give ourselves time to discuss our relationships to this holiday as people with lived experiences with eating disorders and just in general, we won't be having a guest today and Laura and I will just be bouncing off of one another. I'm sure we won't run out of things to cover. And rather than having a designated call-in portion of the pod, if there's a topic we're speaking on that resonates with you, please feel free to call in at any time. Content warning, this subject may lend itself to some triggering information, so please be cognizant of your well-being and take a break if you need it. As always, please remember that this podcast doesn't take the place of medical or mental health care from a clinician or provider. Reach out to professionals if you need support. So, it's Passover. Chag Pesach Sameach. Chag Sameach. How are you doing? I'm doing. I'm keeping Passover. I'm doing. doing. Yeah. I'm doing. Um, It's been a hectic few weeks for me, just personally, professionally. I have a lot going on. Um, But I will say, um, I know I've named here before that I'm, you know, part of an interfaith relationship and Easter and Pesach, um, the Pesach Seders rather, fell all in rapid succession this weekend, stretching over a weekend. Um, certainly weren't the only two holidays going on, but the two that are observed in our household. And um, it was the first Passover and the first Easter since before the pandemic that I was able to gather with family, which is not to say the pandemic isn't still ongoing, but just noting that that experience, um, you know, it felt safe for the first time in a long time, or at least much safer. And we made the decision to do that. So like, it just was a really wonderful and exhausting weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think I, I saw a lot of people talking about how this was one of the first times they were able to gather in large succession. Also, I really apologize if you're hearing my dog right now. Okay, she's gone. We um, love dogs. Dogs are always I mean, welcome to come kvetch with us. I love her too, and I would love to have her kvetch, although she's a very quiet <laughs> little thing. 
big thing. She's a big thing. Um, but she click clacks with her nails and that that's an annoyance. Mm. Um, in any case, but I, I definitely saw a lot of people talking about how this was one of the first holidays that they were able to gather again. And like you said, of course, the pandemic is ongoing. It is not over by any means. There are a lot of people still in a lot of danger. Um, and for some of us, it has been the safest that it's felt for a while. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that has been nice. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been an intense week for me too. It's so funny. I, I reached out to friends cause like, I just, I like copy and pasted like, Hey, checking in, how are you? to like a bunch of people because I have ADHD and I don't keep up with my friends well. Um, but I just realized like, everyone was asking me in turn, how are you? And I like, didn't know how to answer that question. I, I was just like, I'm here. I don't know. I'm here. <laughs> I'm doing from earlier. Right. Oh, I'm exactly. doing. Um, exactly. Yeah. I made yeah, fun of no, you, I but evidently that. I'm. Okay. <laughs> You're also doing. Yeah. Um, no, I feel that in my soul that right now I'm just, um, I don't know that I'm necessarily actively struggling, but I would also not say I'm actively thriving. Like I am surviving Surviving. somewhere in the middle and that is okay for me in this moment. And I'm trying to give myself the grace and of not thriving all the time. Um, And, you know, I think some of the things we'll speak about tonight in particular, you know, liberation and what that means for us, which we can, you know, we can take that pivot or not, but like, for me, I think I so strongly associate my recovery with, like, I think for a very long time, I associated that with, like, I don't think I had a clear definition for what it meant to be doing well. Um, and I think I applied a lot of pressure to myself where there doesn't need to be it. Um, I'm doing a much stronger job of giving myself the grace to just survive and just exist um, much more so than I used to therapy yeah. super helpful for that. Um, but I, I realized, you know, in the span of time where I wasn't seeing a therapist for, for a couple of years that I really lost sight of um, I was very much still doing like regulatory skills work, but I was not doing a great job of like maintaining my bigger picture of like that it is okay to just and that I had known that in theory and never put it into practice so I'm putting it into practice for what in many ways is the first time in my life and um it's uncomfortable and also liberating yeah it's really hard I mean as as a therapist and as a therapist who exists on social media in in sort of like the social media therapist space um it's it's really hard uh to remind ourselves that like, it's okay to just a, to not be okay, but mm-hmm. also to just kind of be in that state of like, I'm just getting through this right now. Like I'm not thrilled about anything. I'm not super mm-hmm. upset about anything. I'm just kind of getting through. And that's not a um, message that we often see on social media, because of course, you know, as one of the downfalls of social media is, you know, lack of nuance and, and also sort of a, along that same line, a tendency to, to sort of end up on one or other one end or mm-hmm. the other of a spectrum. Uh, you know, either we're feeling like complete shit or we're, you know, great and thriving and growing and, you know, girl bossing all over the place. And, you know, it's just like, 
it's not realistic. It's not sustainable. You know, like, yes, there are moments of growth in our lives that, you know, we can and should support and, and nourish. Um, and we can't do that without these moments of just being, I think. So I, I do think that's a really important just little tangent for us. No, I agree. And I don't even think it's all that tangential. I think we can dive dive into um, what liberation means, you know, in a personal or broader Jewish context. But it is ultimately the theme of this holiday. Um, yes. And I think that, you know, I think we both named that giving oneself the space to just be can be a liberating experience. So I think, I think there's room to dive in there. I don't think it's tangential at all, honestly. And actually, now that you say that, I'm even thinking of like the parts of Pesach in general that are about just being Um, like, Mm -hmm. I don't actually do this, but one of the traditions in in Passover is that you're, you're meant to sit um, reclined and like on, Mm -hmm. on, like pillows like comfortable not like on like a straight back chair like you normally would for dinner Mm -hmm. um you know and that i think is an example of ease you know of of letting yourself exist as you are and enjoying a meal with your family as you are i mean of course you know that's also couched by a seder which is not useful at all it's very long and intense but (laughs) you know there are parts of it (laughs) that are useful um and I think the parts of it that aren't feel very meaningful as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for the first time ever, I think actually, um, the first Seder on Friday night that we did, so Seder and Shabbat, um, was myself, my parents, and my sister. My partner wasn't feeling well and stayed home. Um, and I don't know that we've ever done just the four of us um, for a Passover Seder. And, you know, what came up for us, um, it, it gave us the space to interpret the Seder and dive in, in a way that we would not typically do with more people around the table. Um, partially because, you know, my parents are, you know, privy to different experiences, different lived experiences that I have had and my sister has had. Um, but the larger extended family, doesn't necessarily have all those details or are we necessarily trying to create a family conversation um, surrounding different pieces of our stories Um, and in this context we were able to do that and able to talk about Dayenu as it means what would have been enough um, Mm. in my own personal context when I think about the journey that I have been on as a neurodivergent person, as a person who struggled with mental illness, as a person who struggled with addiction, as a person who has survived an eating disorder, what would have been enough? At what point would I would would I have said, okay, this is enough. I can just be now. And at what point will I say that? You know, have I said that? And that that came up for me because I've never really given myself the freedom or had the forum to explore my personal connection to Passover and to the Passover Mm. story. And I really valued having the space to do that this year and think out loud and speak in drafts. And in so many ways, it was the best Seder I've ever had. 
Yeah, I love that. I also really love the Dainu in general. Like it's it's one of my favorite parts of the Seder and it's it's one of my favorite words um in Hebrew. Um but because it's not a word, it's a phrase, right? That would have been mm-hmm. enough. Um and it it I don't know, there's a lot there's a lot in that phrase. It it feels like a I mean obviously it's in Hebrew, it's a very Jewish phrase, but it it still even more so feels like a very it's like a mantra of, of what mm-hmm. it means to be Jewish, at least in, in my mind, you know, it's like there, we have been through so much and it, it all would have been enough. And yet here we are doing it again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I fully agree. And I've, I've been able to find, you know, I've, I've shared on here before that I've been on my own sometimes isolating journey to finding and figuring out my own relationship with Judaism as a religion, as opposed to being Jewish right. culturally, um, and that's an ethnicity. And I, for me, a tether just in daily Jewish prayer, what ultimately ended up being where I expanded from was the Murdet Ami, the morning prayer, um, in which we basically just thank God for opening up our eyes in the morning and like letting us see another day. Um, And then for more material things like the clothes on your back and having a roof over your head, it's a gratitude practice. Um, Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Right. Not, not actually a different gratitude practice than um, what many people list and practice just as skills work in the morning or in the evening. Um, It really is as a prayer, a list of things that you're grateful for. And for me, that became something that I latched onto as a ritual My sister shared at the Seder when we also said the Shechechayanu, what we say on the first um, night of a holiday, um, that that, as she is sort of having her own exploration and coming to understanding um, her relationship with Judaism, the Shechechayanu became sort of that mantra for her in the way that Moda'ani has been for me. And hearing you say that Dayenu serves as a mantra, I think is also really beautiful. Um, for some context and clarity, Shechechayanu pretty much translates to like, thank you, God, for like allowing me to reach this season and experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a beautiful thing that can be, you know, used more often. And I just loved hearing her interpretation of it. It's what's, Similar feelings were arising for me then, as I shared with my parents about my relationship to the Moda Ani specifically, my sister shared her relationship to the Shechechayanu, and you're sharing how Dayenu makes you you feel. And I just, mm-hmm. I think there's something so beautiful in that, um, mm-hmm. in tethers to mantras and themes that emerge, because you're right, at every point it would have been enough that's the point of you know saying that in the context Mm -hmm. of the passover story um and at every point there was just a further push and i think that regardless of what one's relationship is to god as an entity and to prayer um Mm -hmm. there's a lot of reflection that can come and connection that can come out of you know one's own personal story and reflecting on at what point would it have been enough? Yeah. And that's actually where my brain was going as you were talking, just sort of thinking of moments throughout my life and what I've gone through. And 
you know, like, damn, that really would have been enough. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> really, I could have done without. <laughs> and also for me, even the flip side of that, I think of it would have been enough and like, it would have been enough in like a positive way where like, I could have paused here and sat in that longer, but I pushed myself further out of it because of some feeling of dissatisfaction or non-fulfillment or like I needed to be doing more, some pressure that I either felt externally or intrinsically, whatever it was, I've pushed myself out of moments that frankly would have been enough. And I only now have the, you know, at this point in my life have the, emotional intelligence and desire to even reflect on that. Right. Right. No, it's very true. I mean, the, the way that it, it's framed in the Seder is in sort of like a, not negative, but, but, you know, just sort of like a framing that's like, you know, you keep beating us down. Could you stop please? <laughs> like that's sort of the, the message I feel, or at least that's how I always interpreted it. Um, mm. Which maybe is not the, the, you know, universal interpretation, but I, I really like what you just said in terms of that reframe of like, well, we, we push ourselves throughout our lives and that's what makes us who we are in a lot of ways. And, you know, as a therapist, I sometimes struggle with the idea of like our trauma makes us who we are, but in many ways it does. And like, I think that the, the Jewish experience embodies that in a lot of ways, our trauma as a, as a people does make us who we are for better or for worse. Um, you know, it's complicated. It's very complicated. And it's, it's interesting to me, um, what you shared about the way you grew up internalizing Dainu and, um, Mm -hmm. that sort of being held, because you're right. It ultimately is a, there's so many verses to that song and it outlines the, you know, historical context in which the Jews are existing in this story. Um, but it's so interesting to me because the way I always understood it as framed, and this could largely have been because we have, we still use, um, but I grew up using this like family Haggadah that mm-hmm. was like really meant to engage children in the Seder. And now that we no longer have young children, we're still using it because mm-hmm. it's a frank, it's frankly a beautiful Haggadah that allows for more accessible interpretation for people around the table that don't speak Hebrew, um, for people to derive meaning from the Passover story. And it's structured, you know, in the correct, like the chronological order of the Seder, but it moves through at a pace that I think for um, Jews who are not observing the Seder in its entirety, meaning, you know, going late into the night, starting at sundown, people I've who only done that practicing once. with it was fidelity, a lot. <laughs> right, with that level of fidelity um, yeah. and observance, this type of Haggadah is really accessible, where we take mm-hmm. the time to move through the parts, um, mm-hmm. and we grew up using it, we still use it. Um, and the way I understood Dayenu from that Haggadah, and then ultimately from what was upheld, um, in conversations that our Seder was like, it would have been enough if God had just like stopped at, at like any point, not in terms of like the negatives that the Jews were experiencing, but like it would have been enough of an act of God for him to just get us out of there. It would have been 
enough of an act of God for him to have stopped after the first plague. It would have been enough. And it's about what was the miracles that happened in that story to ultimately lead to our deliverance and like Mm -hmm. sort of saying like, it would have been okay for you to do less actually. Um, Mm -hmm. And we would have still been grateful is the way Mm -hmm. that I always heard it framed. So it's so interesting to me hearing a totally different perspective to that and a totally different framing um, because I had never thought of it that way. Well, I think, you know, now that you say that it sounds very familiar and I do think that is like the classical interpretation of it, like the technically correct interpretation, um, like what my Hebrew school taught me. But I don't know why. It always just felt like a very, um, like I used it when I experienced anti-Semitism firsthand. I was like, dang, you bitches, like just get the fuck away from me. Like, you know, like Like, enough, like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Be done, be gone. Right. Exactly. Um, So... Yeah, it's it's interesting how, and, and I mean, that's one of the, the very cool things I think about, you know, religion more generally, but definitely about Judaism and Jewishness is that there are so many interpretations and the interpretations are the point. Like, it's not, it's not that one's more right than the other, although I did sort of allude to that earlier, but, <laughs> you know, one isn't more right than the other. They're just different ways of thinking about it. And I think they both have really valid and interesting points and, and they allow us to think bigger. And that's really the point. Mm-hmm. I like um, that. Yeah. So <clears throat> anything else on the sort like the liberation conversation? I feel like we kind of slid a little bit past that, um, but I just, we moved to... right into personal connections. Yeah. Face we, off. we can keep going okay. any, any which way. This is frankly why I love this entire project is because, you know, I feel so comfortable with you that I, we end up touching, you know, we always have this list of topics and we end up touching on all of them just because of how we are able to interact with each other and, you know, resonate with each other's stories and pieces of each other's stories. So I'm a big fan of trusting our process. Cool. Um, Well, uh, in in the spirit of that, I definitely want to talk a little bit about um, Pikuach Nefesh. I can never say that right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I just did. <laughs> you did. It looks like I Pikachu. Um, I know. Calling it what it is. My it non-Jewish partner has like looked at me typing that or like mm-hmm. a reminder that I have for myself, frankly, on my bulletin board. He's like, ah, yeah, Pikachu nephish. And I'm like, all right, stop. <laughs> like that's <laughs> like, I'm glad you're engaging oh with, um, you know, my lived experience, but also get out of here. <laughs> like, get out of, get out of here. Um, that is so funny. Yeah, it's so true though mm-hmm. which means i like take care of yourself it's like a um you like really put me on the spot for a literal definition there but um <laughs> you're but so no, you're always ready for I know. okay it's it's a principle in jewish law um that basically says we need to uphold and preserve human life and that overrides pretty much every other religious rule of Judaism. And my understanding is that, um, and I always, I always hesitate here because I, I don't like to speak on movements of Judaism that I have not like been in community with. Um, So I, I try hard not to speak about the Orthodox community because I don't want to be uninformed or speak for people that I am, um, that I don't have much access to, like that I'm not in community with and daily life. Um, 
But my understanding is that in conservative and reform communities, this has been um, interpreted in such a way to mean um, if you can't fast on Yom Kippur because you need to take your medicine, eat and take your medicine and drink. If you can't keep Passover because having dietary restrictions will trigger your eating disorder, which is deadly, it's a cause of death, a significant yes. cause of death, um, then don't keep Passover. Like eat hamates if it keeps you in regulation. Drink on Yom Kippur. Um, sit for prayer when people around you may be standing. And it, you know, that's my understanding of Pikuach Nefesh. I am not sure um, to what extent that interpretation is also mirrored in the Orthodox community. So I am going to not include that particular community in this conversation because I don't have the lens to speak on that experience. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, and I also think it's important to say, um, because I, I've i spoken about this sort of on my platform before, you have as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember someone, uh, I don't know if it was in my DMs or the comments, and they were like, are you sure? Like, and I think this person was Orthodox. Um, and they ended up like tagging a bunch of rabbis and being like, is this true? And, you know, it was so funny because we ended up talking a little bit about it. And what I said to her was, I was like, you know, there might be rabbis who disagree with me on this. I'm sure there are. I'm not a rabbi. Like I I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't sit with scripture and, and, you know, think about what it all means in that sense. And Mm -hmm. what I do know is that there are rabbis who have said this before, right? Like we didn't just pull this out of our ass. This is something that. (laughs) No, it is halacha. Um, Right. It is Jewish law. Pekulach Nefesh is the Jewish value of saving a life above all else. If a synagogue were burning, um, you would save people, not the Torah scrolls. Right. And we're taught that in Hebrew school. I know I was taught that in Hebrew school. It was as regular as having a fire drill. It was part of the conversation. So, um, yes, you're absolutely right. There are many a rabbi who would agree with us and probably many a rabbi who wouldn't. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's important. And, and look, again, like we were saying before, Jewishness is all about interpretation. It's all about opinion in a lot of ways. It's not about like strict rules and regulations in the ways that Christianity is. And the other thing that I said to her was, look, I respect rabbis deeply. You know, we we get the interpretation that we just described from rabbis, right? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I don't know many rabbis who are well versed in the intricacies of eating disorders, or the intricacies Mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, medical issues, right? So, there might be rabbis who might disagree with us that, you know, uh, restricting a certain food group will negatively impact or could negatively impact somebody's eating disorder to the point that it might harm their life. Right. They might disagree with that, but I think you and I would say that that's a very ill-informed position to take Mm -hmm. because eating disorders are deadly. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, something that can trigger a relapse could ultimately bring about um, a much more dangerous um, situation than any one moment or any given moment. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm thinking about this and I just like I actually think it really comes down to less about like whether Pikuach Nefesh is a 
applicable and ultimately mm-hmm. what somebody's interpretation of saving a life is and what is deadly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to your point about um, could not eating leavened products kill someone. Um, and on the surface level, right. the answer is no. No, um, right. Because mm-hmm. there are other foods that exist. So if right. we're approaching this from a physical and pragmatic standpoint, sure. Like, right. I understand it. I understand that argument and I understand how people could make it. And as you said, it's ill-informed because the complexities of that situation are so much greater. And we know that. We've both lived it. It's your job to understand that clinically. Um, you know, we ultimately understand that um, not meeting that, that meeting one's needs through food is as much a mental experience as it is a physical one. And to not honor both sides of that um, can be physically and mentally devastating to your health. Absolutely. And I really do think that Jewishness as a tradition honors that emotional connection and mental connection mm-hmm. with food, right? I think Passover is a great example. Everything on the table is symbolic in some mm-hmm. way. Uh, and so, you know, food isn't just food. It, it means things. And so, you know, in my opinion, that lends more credibility to the idea that the emotional factors are important. And not only is it that eating disorders are complicated and, you know, harm can result from something that we might think of as simple in, you know, like removing a food group. Uh, the other piece is that you, you're now adding this element of your relationship with God your relationship with your religion or your culture, your family, right? Like I'm thinking about where the pressure to, for example, fast on Yom Kippur came from. It was from elders in my family, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this very intense level of shame when, or there could be an intense level of shame, you know, Mm -hmm. when you choose to say not keep kosher for Passover for your own mental well-being, Uh, I think there's that added layer of like, I'm not only making this choice that other people are unhappy about, which happens, but I'm also making a choice that maybe feels like it's betraying God or my relationship with God or my relationship with my culture, my relationship with my family. And like, think about how emotionally devastating it, it, it is to feel that, you know, like that to me could send me down a a full on rabbit hole, you Mm -hmm. know? Yes. Absolutely. And I think what comes up for me, sort of, I guess, not like in summation, but in trying to think about how all of these concepts come together, how my personal story um, and my personal connection to Pesach, my journey to Judaism, um, the concept of Pikuach Nefesh and how it plays into Passover and the dietary restrictions around Passover, which like I'm keeping Passover this year. Um, But in large part, because I'm at a point in my recovery where I know I can do so um, safely. And also I'm, I was raised a conservative Ashkenazi Jew. And in 2016, I believe, um, conservative Ashkenazi leaders gave us back kidney oat. So gave us back corn and rice and beans and, food groups that were, um, they were eaten by Sephardic Jews and, you know, other groups of Jews, but not Ashkenazi conservative Jews. Um, 
there is a lot more available to me than there was at the time where I was most actively struggling with and threatened by my eating disorder physically. Um, and as I said, mentally, I can, I can observe that piece of Pesach safely. And I know that for myself. So I'm doing it because it brings me meaning. But I noticed that like, it doesn't carry as much for me as it used to this it used to feel like this monumental decision I would make every year every Yom Kippur every Passover like mm. I would make what felt like an earth-shattering decision I would feel that pressure that you said from yeah you know it's not that people in my family were explicitly being like do this or do that if mm. anything I'd say at this point I probably care the most about it in mm. my um like immediate family but yeah. I felt it in like a deeper covenant sense yeah. um like I felt it, I felt that pressure, whether a person was putting on, it on me or not. Um, I right. felt like this was right. what I was supposed to be doing. And right. um, that can be a structure of larger organized religion to, you know, feel that regardless of your personal connection to a higher power. Um, right. Because at the end of the day, religion is also, it's a religious institution. It is mm -hmm. something system. with structure, right? It's a system. Yeah. Um, and the ways that we exist within that system can impact us personally and um, internally in ways that we don't necessarily have the language to give voice and validity to. Um, right. We may just absorb that. And I know I did for the better part of my life. And I'm now able to make a choice that is an informed choice and prioritizes um, my well-being. So it didn't feel like there was that pressure and there was mm. liberation in that as well. So when I think about that, you know, bringing it back to all of that, bringing it all back together, liberation to me as the predominant theme of this holiday and in connection to my personal story means owning my space mm. and the choices, the freedom I have yeah. to choose. Yeah to uphold pikuach nefesh as this mitzvah that honors my well-being. To me, that's liberation. It's the ability yes. to do exactly that. Yeah, the ability to choose. And, you know, my choice since I was, even before my eating disorder, I, I don't do it. I don't fast. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't do any of that because it, it doesn't feel meaningful to me. It feels, I wouldn't say it feels triggering because at this point in my recovery, it doesn't, mm -hmm. uh, but it just doesn't do it for me. So I don't do it. And that feels good. And, you know, I think you're right. It, it, it's even, you know, like we think about this in, in terms of feminism, right? Feminism isn't, oh, every, you know, cisgender woman or every minoritized, every person who's a member of a minoritized gender has to go out and work and shouldn't be home with babies, right? It's that you get to choose what you want to do, what works for you, what is best for you. Um, and I think that is the goal it is for ourselves. And, you know, for those of you who are more religious, I think when we honor ourselves, we honor God, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I'm not really that religious, but, but I think that makes sense, you know, in terms of the extent of my spirituality, right? Like 
if we're created by God, right? If we're all in God, right? Image, the most we're all created godly from God, thing right? to do is to honor your you. Mm-hmm. Mm. So with that, shall we wrap? With that, yeah, we can wrap. <laughs> that was beautiful. I really like the way that it all came back together. I think I'm going to be, you know, sitting on this episode after mm-hmm. we sign off tonight and just, you know, continuing to reflect on what this holiday means and brings up for me. Yeah, it is my favorite one. So I definitely think a lot during it. How many times have you watched Prince of Egypt this week? Actually, none this week. I haven't Wild. done it yet. I know. You I usually plan. I did. Well, I've watched it so many times. I've been singing the songs all week. I just... <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, well, oh, thank you for joining us today on Convention on the Couch. As a reminder, we use this space to talk about difficult subjects. And so it is the of the utmost importance that you do at least one thing to take care of yourself today, even if that means eating chametz. Mm-hmm. And we hope this conversation sparked something for you or was at least interesting for those of you listening. Next week, we will be talking about the third generation Holocaust survivor experience with a very special guest, Daniela Rabani. You can come fetch with us about that on Thursday, April 28th, live at 5 p.m. An earlier time. We're trying to transition this time to be a bit earlier unless it's to accommodate guests as needed. Because we like our evenings to ourselves. (laughs) We do. It turns out that getting right off of our recording space and getting out of post and then just like being that exhausted and going to bed wasn't really working for either of us. So thanks for working flexibly with us, (laughs) listeners. And as always, this episode recording will be posted on the Colin app and it will then be uploaded to Spotify and Apple Podcasts later this evening. You can keep up with me and Ash on social media. My handle is at the healing happy cook and you can find Ash at at badash therapy. All information will be provided in the comments section of this episode. Big thank you to January sunshine for all of the music provided in this episode and the biggest of thank yous for those of you who listened today. Good night, everyone. Good night.